Hello and welcome to the latest issue of Inside Fertilizer Analytics. We're recording this podcast as developments in Ukraine are evolving. So it's going to be an interesting discussion, important time to be talking about fertilizer markets. And we're going to focus today on the phosphates market, which is, like all fertilizer markets, very affected by the situation in Ukraine. And um, I'm really glad to have two experts join me today to unpack what's happening and also look more globally at the outlook for phosphate rock and processed phosphates. I have Clara Lloyd join, who is in charge and heads up our phosphates research, both on the rock and the processed side. And she's joined by Tim Evans, one of her colleagues in the fertilizer analytics team. Tim also works on phosphates and um, is, is a key expert. So welcome to both of you to the podcast today. Really great to have you on board. Pleasure. Thanks for having us. Good to be back, Tim, to have a chat with everyone again. Yeah, it's been a while, so it's definitely overdue, and I think um, the, the timing is very appropriate. Let's jump straight in, if we can, and talk about the Russia-Ukraine situation. Let's start with looking at rock. Can you share with us, uh, maybe starting with the rock, uh, how you see the uh, the Ukraine crisis impacting on the rock markets? Uh, is it severe? Are we going to see a lot of disruption to trade and a big impact to prices? What's your early assessment of how the rock market will be affected I think rock, when we look at it, is quite an interesting one. We've analysed, obviously, as a team across the, the spectrum of phosphates, and you, you consider from raw material upwards, and raw materials also considering you know, the sulphur and ammonia side of things in this. But when we look at the direct implication to the rock market, it's pretty low down on, I would say, the severity of direct impacts. I mean, Russia itself, give the last, what, five years, has produced on an annual basis, 13 to 14 million tonnes a year of rock, but we're looking at pretty much you know, 80% of that being consumed domestically. So we see maybe 2, 2.4 in a good year of rock being exported. So they're not a massive player when you consider the rock market and you know, the sheer volume of product that's distributed. Where, you know, we look at exports topping out 30 million tonnes. But what is interesting to consider is that majority of this, when we consider 75%, is shipped to European countries. And these European countries in particular, you know, Lithuania, Norway, Belgium, and they rely for nearly up to 90% of their rock from the Russian market. So when you look at the numbers, it looks like it should be a huge impact that could really disrupt a big part of the trade flow. But what we can't forget is that there is plenty of rock. You know, if we just look at OCP on their own, they have the capacity to export 18 million tonnes a year. The most they export is 11. And OCP have significant access to you know European markets already when it comes to other phosphate products, dry bulk products, fertilizer products. So it's not necessarily going to be that difficult to supplement a potential loss of Russian rock, particularly into European countries. The pathways there, the producers there. And also we've got new projects coming online. We've got projects in South Africa. We've got um, export projects even from the US for rock coming this year. So there's new product as well looking for a home. So really the direct impact of the rock market is not necessarily going to be that significant, which for me is quite interesting, especially when you consider the potential for other fertiliser projects and within the phosphate market. That's certainly true. As you know, in our team, we've been running a, some analysis on the potential implications for the fertiliser raw materials and finished fertilisers, and other products seem to be far more severely affected, ammonia being the, the headline in terms of disruption to trade and, and potentially to importers outside of the region. But what do you think then about the implications for the finished phosphate markets? If rock directly 
if there are other options for supply, how do we see the process phosphate side of things, the, the process phosphate supply and demand and the trade being affected by this action? The process phosphate world is, of course, um, a little bit on the different side of things. Most definitely, Russia is far more of a significant part of the market there. We look at DAP and MAP exports alone, and they cover around 14% of global MAP exports. We're looking at maybe 7 to 9% of DAPs, and that's not insignificant compared to the rock market, particularly with the broad spectrum in which they export. But really what the main concern is for the phosphate market at the moment is the ammonia side of things, particularly when we look at the North African producers of processed phosphates, which are some of the biggest producers when we look at Morocco in particular, and taking OCP as a case in hand at this moment in time. Last year, they imported about 800,000 tonnes of ammonia out of Ukraine, which was Ukraine supplied and Russia supplied ammonia, which was half of their consumption. If we don't have that ammonia, or if that ammonia is more difficult to get their hands on, we're going to see the biggest single phosphate exporting company reduce its production. And that's where our problem comes along. Or if they don't reduce their production of, you know, particularly DAP and MAP, ammonia will become more expensive for them to get their hands on and we'll see the bottom line production cost increase. So whilst, yes, we, we should be potentially concerned, not necessarily yet because direct sanctions haven't been any put in place on HS codes for DAP and MAP, it's the raw material availability that's our biggest concern, which could either reduce production overall from key producers or end up pushing up production costs, which then, of course, will keep phosphate prices elevated for however long the situation is, when we were originally forecasting this year being a better one for the buyers, shall we say, with some softening coming into place. That certainly has changed in terms of where, uh, where we think things could be. The question on those countries and producers like Morocco, to what extent can they switch away from ammoniated phosphates towards products that don't need ammonia like TSP? Is that an option short term and or even in, beyond the short term? How does that play out? We have to consider who are the lucky producers in that case with that flexibility. And when we look at it, I said, you know, North African um, phosphate producers rely quite heavily on um, Ukraine origin, well, Ukraine loading, shall we say, because it's often Russian origin as well, loading ammonia. OCP obviously is one of the most flexible phosphate producers in the world. They export rock, they export phosphoric acid, TSP, DAP, MAP in particular. There is obviously the ability for them to switch to TSP production, but the TSP market is significantly smaller. And so there's only so much of that that can be and is required. Phosphoric acid production is obviously an option. Again, India would be delighted to have that phosphoric acid and more of it available, I'm sure, as they're the biggest supplier. But these are more finite markets with more smaller merchant trade than DAP and MAP. So whilst there is the ability, the consumption may not necessarily be there. And also when we look at India, again, is another country which does have a significant portion of its ammonia imports coming loading in the Ukraine. These guys don't have necessarily that flexibility. They largely produce DAP or they produce NPKs and they need that ammonia for it. So it is wide and varied depending on the flexibility and complexity of the production units. But those guys like OCP, even GCT to an extent, will be what more of the lucky ones and maybe those Indian producers. That's great. A great explanation, Terry. It does sound like it's a short-term solution at best given that those markets that producers could switch to are far more limited. I think let's move to other issues because I'd like to unpack some of the issues we've discussed in some of our recent podcasts, actually. Last time we spoke, we discussed China and the new Chinese export restrictions. They were still unclear, and there was a lot of concern in the market about what those restrictions could mean. 
Can you tell us what happened in the end and what the implications have been? Yeah. In 2021, Chinese phosphate production numbers reached record almost across the board, despite the export restrictions beginning on, on 15th of October and said to last until June 2022. But we expect the impact of these restrictions will be felt more acutely this year. So, I mean, the restrictions for certain phosphate fertilisers were put in place to essentially secure domestic fertiliser supply and also dampen the rising prices that were discouraging domestic buying. You know, considering central China DAP export prices increased by 40% between January and December of 2021. In addition to these restrictions, in December, the National Development and Reform Commission specified that major phosphate producers must operate plants at 70% to secure plenty of supply for the spring application between March and May. But similarly to the map market, this encouragement, shall we say, didn't result in the desired outcome. In the same month, we saw six map producers shut production across the month because of the reduced demand, which was also linked to the lack of export opportunity. And this added to existing production cuts from the export restrictions that began in October. Domestic distributors and MPK plant operators in particular have been pretty cautious about winter stockpiling since they anticipate lower prices themselves because of this weak demand. But in reality, meanwhile, you know, the prices instead continue to keep a firm footing despite the reduced export opportunities, because feedstock and raw material costs continue to rise both in China and globally. But we have seen some product being approved for export this year and following inspections, and and we don't expect export cuts to be rigidly enforced until the official June deadline, which should allow producers to avoid further production cuts. So once China's spring application season starts this month and domestic demand maybe takes a back foot, we do expect to see exports to pick up and, and return to more traditional volumes from April rather than June. Very interesting. With that Chinese situation in mind, and then also thinking about the current Ukraine crisis, what does the combination mean for the market? I guess our outlook has changed in the short term. How do you think these things will interact? We are yet to sit down and 100% quantify the situation just because when we look at phosphates, it is very up in the air since, was it 24th of February, when the invasion started. We have seen phosphates producers, phosphate suppliers take a back foot. We've seen prices largely, I would say, globally remain very static through almost complete lack of trade. And people really are quantifying their position. But overall, I've been playing, I want to say, devil's advocate slightly with our editorial team, particularly today, discussing the market and our expectations. And yes, obviously, there are difficulties or expected difficulties with Russian loading of fertilisers, let alone potentially if people are buying them, the loading of this product could be difficult as we have started to hear that some ship owners, some vessels are not able to load at Russian ports. So that is one thing to consider. Another is that some companies, some countries are refusing or discussing the lack of interest, should we say, in utilising and procuring Russian fertilisers. So, yes, this is something we cannot ignore. As I said, Russia supplies about 15 percent of global map trade and about nine, seven to nine percent of DAP. But I've been playing devil's advocate, shall we say, because we have to remember the fundamentals that were to be encouraging softening. They have not disappeared. We still will have the early return of China to the export market. We still have affordability issues when we look particularly in the US at the moment, where we're expecting around 5% of spring demand to be lost. We have affordability issues in Eastern Africa. We have affordability issues in Southeast Asia, which is resulting in demand loss. And Europe itself even, cross depending on country, we could see 25% demand destruction 
because of the current price level. And if prices are to either remain quite stable or increase because of a loss of Russia and an increase in raw material prices, which could result in either a loss of other producers or general you know, baseline cost increase, we could maybe see that lack of enthusiasm for buying, which again could keep prices, if not stable, could cap the increase. So, yes, there is this expectation of firming, but it is possibly going to be tempered by, really, as I said, three things, the return of China, concerns about affordability and demand destruction, which we have already witnessed. So it may not be a case of prices running away with themselves, but it is at the moment too early to tell. I would be bold enough to say the extreme almost softening and the price correction we were anticipating this year is definitely now in severe question. Yeah, that makes sense. In terms of the Russian exports and the Russian role in exporting processed phosphates, I guess if we assume that that flow continues, then the assumptions you've just described apply. If sanctions are applied to the HS codes that affect MAP and DAP or Russian producers are sanctioned, then are we in a situation where supply becomes much tighter and prices respond? I think it's unavoidable in that case. What would be interesting to note then is obviously, depending on who has placed the sanctions, there could be some countries which will find loopholes or way around, as maybe we've noted loopholes when it comes to sanctions on Belarus potash, for example. So trade flows may alter as well, which would allow a certain amount of product to come out. And we have started to hear reports of certain countries being offered Russian product potentially at discounts to either mitigate the risk factor or because they are still voicing their willingness to purchase readily and easily. A shift in trade flows is also possible, which could maybe again keep that temper. But if Russia disappears, then there is no question. Of, we will see a reverse in our short term price forecast from even what two weeks ago. Yeah, changing trade flows has been a theme in processed phosphates because of earlier developments with those duties from the US. So this could be another disruption to the market. Let's change topics, change tack if we can, and look at another very interesting topic unrelated to the current crisis. Looking at lithium phosphate batteries, and Tim, you've been looking at this in particular. It's something our customers ask us about, and and we uh, have been exploring as drivers to future phosphate demand. Can you tell us, well, first of all, for those who aren't aware, what are these lithium phosphate batteries and why have they been receiving increasing attention recently? Lithium ion phosphate battery, LFP is short for that, is a type of lithium ion battery which uses lithium ion phosphate as the cathode material. And the energy density of LFP battery is, is lower than that of common lithium ion battery types such as nickel, manganese, cobalt, and nickel, cobalt, aluminium. But over the past two years, LFP batteries have become an increasingly popular alternative to nickel, manganese, cobalt batteries because of improvements in energy density, but primarily it's low cost, especially in China. LFP battery usage in electric vehicles is rapidly rising and and we expect it to become one-off, if not the dominant battery used in electric vehicles globally by 2030. As for where phosphates gets involved, well, the, the batteries acquire purified phosphoric acid for their production process. In terms of receiving attention, you know, from the battery market, at least, it's mainly because of its material and economic advantages in that LFP batteries, as I said, have have made sufficient progress and performance to be competitive. But it's really, you know, their advantage is essentially driven by their low cost on a kilowatt hour basis. Nickel, manganese, cobalt batteries require thermal management systems uh, in order to prevent the battery from overheating, to maintain efficiency and, and also user safety. And this adds weight to the system, whereas LFP batteries 
they don't require those additional components and, and engineers and, and its allocated capital for research and, and development can achieve a more narrowed focus on improving the battery function and energy density and so on. But I think also a big point is also just simply obtaining an ample but also safe supply of the materials for typical batteries can be quite challenging. But with LFP batteries, both iron and phosphate is more easily sourced. So the supply chain and production is therefore more predictable, which makes it very useful, I guess, in growing markets. As from the perspective of the phosphate market, we think the, the general interest is firstly a new technology, at least in terms of its scalability. So it's not straightforward to forecast phosphate demand levels. So I think there's an interest because it presents a new market opportunity where its potential isn't really fully understood, hence driving curiosity behind it. And also, I think over the next decade, we're seeing a lot of new rock supply essentially outstripping uh, demand. So producers may be looking at alternative sources of added value and, and perhaps want to break into the supply chain first, especially if the batteries don't generate significant demand. That is fascinating. Yeah, thanks for correcting me. Lithium ion phosphate batteries. Um, of course, decarbonisation and the popularity of electric vehicles is so dependent on the cost of the battery. It's been a big barrier to broader adoption of EVs. So you can see a big push towards uh, any technology that reduces the, the installed cost. In terms of how we understand the potential for this market, how are we approaching things? What is our methodology behind forecasting the demand that's going to be potentially generated by these LFT batteries? Yeah, as I said before, it's not the easiest forecast. It's simply because it's it's relatively new in, in, in its market potential. But what we've basically done is we've made the assumption that all of this growth will be generated entirely from the growth of electric vehicles. With the help of the metals and battery team, we, we take our electric vehicle forecast and apply a battery chemistry split as a share of the sales volume on a kilowatt hour basis. And combined with the makeup of each chemistry, this gives us a forecast of demand of individual elements within the LFP battery. So we can extract a forecast of each element, giving us a total phosphorus demand, because it, obviously we're looking at the phosphorus component of the battery. And using a standard conversion, we can then calculate it in terms of tons P205. I'd say we're not really dealing with losses and nuances of a similar nature, because the, the uncertainty in the EV forecast, especially 10 years from now, overshadows a lot of those details as battery markets are not the team's primary function. The objective was to obtain a figure that gives us an indication of the potential phosphate demand to a reasonable level of accuracy to then evaluate its broader effect on the fertilizer market. Yeah, I can understand that. So we're looking at an order of magnitude and, and um, a structural assessment of potential demand. Uh, do we think that demand for purified phosphoric acid will be met at the cost of merchant grade acid for fertilizer production? And if so, how much impact do we expect? So I guess the purpose of the investigation we did was you know, literally to look at the effect of LFP battery growth on the supply of purified phosphoric acid and whether the requirements for purified phosphoric acid will redirect any phosphoric acid production towards battery supplies instead of the fertilizer market. But we don't expect this to be the case, nor, nor do we really expect to see any significant loss in phosphoric acid production capacity from, from fertilizer producers, as LFP producers will continue to source purified phosphoric acid from industrial grade non-fertilizer sectors instead of fertilizer producers that have phosphoric acid capacity or purified phosphoric acid capacity. And as we're generally seeing more integrated players across the board, we think there's more added value in consuming the 
phosphoric acid for fertilizer production and then selling it into the merchant market or, or establishing offtake agreements. Now, it's not unfathomable that we see battery producers looking upstream to acquire um, purified phosphorus acid supply. And the demand levels that we were estimating don't really support the idea on a large scale. We do estimate rapid growth with the battery demand for phosphate with more than four times in demand between 2021 and 2025, reaching roughly about 550,000 tonnes of, of P205 associated from battery production. And uh, I'm expect a total of about 780% growth between 2021 and 2030, reaching slightly over a million tonnes of, of P205. It's clear that these levels of P205 demand won't materially affect the downstream fertiliser market when we forecast global phosphoric acid production at 58 million tonnes P205 in 2030, with slightly more than 10 million tonnes of spare capacity. And just for a sense check, which I think has, you know, it's definitely helped me, so I'm, I'm assuming it will do the same for, for listeners, is total lithium demand for electric vehicles is about 200,000 tonnes per year of metal in 2030. And that's a figure that's supported by pretty much all our competitors, as well as our, our own team. And lithium is in every single battery, while phosphorus is not. So excluding uncertainty and errors from our methodology for a moment, even if every single new electric vehicle on the planet was using LFP batteries, considering LFP batteries is about a one to four ratio of lithium to, to phosphates, you would still only have about 800,000 of elemental phosphorus, which is you know, roughly 1.8 million tonnes P205. So on a global scale, we, we don't think it's going to materially affect phosphate supplies for fertiliser production. We are following some phosphate producers in China that are in the process of shifting their capacity to industrial purified phosphate acid, which will remove some fertilizer grade acid capacity from mapping that supply chains. But, but this represents a relatively immaterial portion of the overall capacity. And I guess lastly, we just highlight that higher grade rock suppliers may also find new market opportunities as the LFP market expands, but supply to this will probably grow in parallel to supply that is directed towards the, the growing fertilizer market. Yeah, again, we don't expect it to materially affect the phosphate supply of fertilizer production. I guess it's very high growth rate from a low base for a new market. So, uh, yeah, and, exactly. And the, the growth will be incremental, so there'll be time for specialist industrial producers to expand supply to meet the requirements. Just to check the numbers, was that 550,000 tonnes P205 by around 2025? It was 2026. 2026, okay. Yeah, well, that, that's still not insubstantial and worth tracking. So, thanks for yeah. the... The explanation. Just in the last few minutes, I'd like to talk about projects and capacity because that's what we love talking about in analytics in most cases. So can we talk quickly about that? And looking at the rock, I know you've just published rock analytics. So what did you discover? What have you concluded about some interesting new projects that have emerged or that have progressed more quickly than we expected? Any tidbits to share with us on rock projects from your latest report? There's one particular project which I think is the most interesting. Mineral Development are a company who are in Florida, and there's a mine in Bone Valley, which is, well, it's secondary recovery. So if this mine was operational sort of up until I think it was about 19, the 1980s, and since then has been idle, and they're going to use secondary recovery to, well, recover what's left of what's there, um, it's including, you know, tailings, ponds, etc. But what I think is most interesting about this really is, is twofold. One, because it's secondary recovery and not greenfield. Permitting has not necessarily been a problem with change of land use, etc., which some 
new rock mines have come across with big hurdles in the US, particularly when you consider tailings and gyps and stacks and things like that. So one, it's a new mine coming on stream in the US. Number two, it's going to start be the US's first ever merchant rock exporter. The project has a capacity of about 1.2 million tonnes a year, potentially 1.4 at a push, but we're counting it as 1.2 million at the moment. Of this, 500,000 tonnes has been committed to an international broker for overseas export. We've never seen the US export rock before. In fact, the US is a net importer. So to see half a million tonnes enter the seaborne market, probably from next year, as the mines expected online in September, is really very interesting. So for me, that's one that really I've been interested to see, and it's made very quick progress. It'll be coming online four months ahead of schedule. But also, I think what has become quite interesting is with the rally in processed phosphates and the price of rock being so intrinsically linked to the value of P205 in DAP, is we've seen a lot of producers which could be considered marginal because of their high production costs, particularly if we look at mines in Canada, for example, have been pushing ahead very swiftly to pursue financing, but also discussing the potential of integrated downstream projects, particularly phosphate capacity, one that springs to mind as a project in Canada, which is now partnering with New Brunswick for a phosphate production capacity of potentially half a million tonnes a year. So these marginal high cost producers are pushing through for financing, pushing through to make progress very quickly. And a lot of guys are now considering integrated downstream production. So the rock market has it's always been a secret favourite of mine when it comes to looking at analysis, but it's become even more interesting in the last even six months. That is fascinating. I'm not sure I would have expected a new phosphate rock exporter from the US. That's really interesting developments. And thanks for flagging that up. Turning to, to processed phosphates, I don't think a phosphate podcast is complete without talking about India. And you've mentioned before that India is definitely a market to watch in terms of their investments in production capacity and projects. And they always have that trade-off between buying raw materials and uh, buying finished products. So tell us where India is with its project plans. Have producers or some developers moved more quickly? Is there a project or two that have moved faster than you expected? I can answer with a firm yes. Paradeep Phosphate, we've been keeping a close eye on these guys. They've got an expansion at their Orissa plant in the works, but it is progressing very, very swiftly, to say the very least. Already 780,000 tonnes of that capacity is online. It came online in July last year, and they're boosting it by another 300,000 tonnes by the start of the third quarter of this year. So already that project is bigger than we expected. It'll be 1.08 million tonnes of new capacity by really July. So for these guys, that is not an insignificant volume. It is for India, the import, as we've talked about before, you know, near near six million tonnes. So these guys have maybe closed off a certain portion of those imports. But what is interesting about it is the phosphate capacity associated, which we were expecting, isn't now because the DAP capacity itself is over a million tonnes going to be enough to match the demand. But also it's not coming till 2024. So 145,000 tonnes of P205 acid expansion is on the way, but it won't be enough to cover the demand from the whole of the DAP capacity expansion. And it's not coming for another two, potentially, you know, if we've got a bit of delay, three years. So this has, yes, increased India's DAP capacity, but it has also increased India's phosphate appetite. And I suppose we could do a circle, you know, to sort of maybe close things off a loop back round to the side of things where what will OCP do in particular if they are stuck for ammonia 
could produce more FOSS acid. Well, these are one company who would be delighted to see more, I'm sure, particularly as they're now with their expansion reliant solely on external acid to cover their demand. But India is, as usual, one to watch, one that's making progress. And this project, I, I do like it when they take me by surprise. And this was definitely one of them. Really good to know that India and other countries are coming through COVID and managing to progress projects that rapidly and that effectively. How do you see that expansion of DAP capacity impacting DAP trade? Obviously, it means less imports to India. What does that mean for the DAP market in terms of pricing, do you think? Obviously, in in the short term, at the moment, people have been talking about the, the rally in DAP prices. Obviously, last year had problems with India importing. You know, we, we saw a big DAP supply shortage. This year, there's a bit of um, good news where obviously the nutrient based subsidies being doubled, but we still don't know the maximum retail price. So for these guys, and especially with how the picture is evolving away from everyone's expectation, potentially of pricing, it could not be still great news. But in the medium term, you know, really is where the interest lies, I think, in this and new capacity in India, not only now from PPL, but we're expecting Green Star, we're expecting MRPL. We've got plenty of projects in our pipeline that we're monitoring. And in the medium term, this is contributing to, again, our 2023, 2024. That's really where we were expecting the price correction. And still at this moment, you know, obviously with the situation in Ukraine, we don't know how long that will last. But for that medium term, we're still expecting that price correction. And India bringing on, you know, three million potentially tons per year of capacity is enough to really change things for the DAP market. These guys are the biggest importers. These guys can, to an extent, change things very rapidly. So if India has the capacity and India has the right domestic pricing mechanisms, India will be able to drive that price correction we're expecting, not just you know, your OCPs and your Mardens. India will be important there too. Yes, always good to hear that. The role of India and alongside, of course, the giants of OCP and Marden. Thanks, Clara. We've covered a, a wide variety of topics, of course, the crucial Ukraine crisis, but also what's happening in China and India and LFP batteries. So I think it's been a content-packed podcast. Thanks for your time. Thanks for listening. If you are interested in any of the uh, the topics that have come up today and you are to subscribe, you may be interested in subscribing to one of our services. The key services we offer are the monthly phosphate outlook, which is our short-term forecast published, of course, monthly. And then we have the phosphate rock analytics service, which is quarterly published at the end of February. We also offer a processed phosphate analytics service, which is covering MAP, DAP, and TSP. Last published in January, I believe, and of course, will be coming up in April. So those are our key phosphate analytics services. Please contact your account manager if you'd like to get access to those or get in touch with one of us. We'd love to help. And also look out for a future issue of Inside Fertilizer Analytics. We'll be circling back and covering the phosphate markets and the latest developments, um, I'm sure, in two or three months' time. So, Kara, thank you very much. Tim, thank you very much for your time today. And to our listeners, thank you too. See you next time. <laughs>